your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me in studios, my good buddy Thomas Drans. Tom, what's going on, bud? Oh, man. I'm so excited to watch hockey again. Like, I've been watching preseason hockey, and let me tell you, it does not hit the same. Like, I cannot wait for next week when we are so back. Well, it's that time of year again. Yeah. A new season of NHL regular season hockey means <laughs> a new edition of the watchability rankings. Let's go. I, I believe we've been doing them on this show since 2016, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I did them last year together. And you're the perfect person to, to have on for this exercise because it requires a certain depraved individual. Yeah. A level not, of degeneracy. Who not only watches a lot of hockey, but watches like niche games involving oh, yeah. random teams that you probably shouldn't be watching because there's other better games on going back and and duel happened talking it out off the off the air with me i know that we already had these conversations we just decided to basically sit down and record it the, the random wednesday night text where i'm like how can you possibly rank the kings so high given that they traded sean dersey um no truly the problem that i had in compiling my own ranking dim and and one of the reasons why and i don't mean to disagree with you but clash is good for sports talk radio so i'm happy to do so one of the reasons why i'm a deeply flawed person to do this exercise with is i'm ranking the teams toward the bottom and there's things that i'm excited to watch even for the teams like aside from the bottom two and we'll get into this shortly but aside from the bottom two there is something I'm looking forward to watching in just about every team in the league. Like, there's something that interests me, find engaging, even about, like, the Jets. Well, and (laughs) when putting my rankings together, something I kept coming back to, and it seems like you felt the same way, was the league is in a really good spot right now from a talent perspective. Because just trying to rank these teams at the bottom, listen, like, it's part of the exercise. So the reality is that if you're ranking 1 through 32 or 32 through 1, because we're going to work our way backwards... Someone has to be 28th, for example, right? Right. But that's the reality of the exercise. It forces us to do that. But I don't even think it should be taken necessarily as a slight this year because it no. feels like that tier of team is in such a more exciting place from an aesthetic perspective than it's been in the past, right? It's almost impossible not to find at least an individual talent or something they do or some, just something you're interested in to see how it plays out this year that'll keep you tuning in at least at the start of the year. I'm sure as the year for goes sure. along, we can kind of write off some of these teams. But it just feels like it's a departure from previous years where you could almost kind of just like pencil in the five worst teams at the bottom and just be like, all right, whatever. These teams are forgettable. Let's move yeah. on. And so hopefully it's tricky because one note I had here was I really wanted us to stay on track in terms of not spending the entirety of today's show. And we're going to go two hours on this one yeah. on the bottom teams because it feels like we're so excited to start and we start with like 32 and then we spend like 15 minutes on that team. And then we go 10 <laughs> minutes on, on 31. That was definitely last year. And then by the time we get to like the, the actual fun 11th teams. best team, we're like, all right, here's one quick note and we're out of time. Yeah, yeah. And so hopefully we're going to try to spread our time and allocate sure. it a bit more um, effectively this year. But at the same time, we're going to try to at least touch on one kind of thing that's going to have us tuning in for every one of these teams. Yeah. So, I mean, my suggestion would be let's absolutely zoom through the bottom two. <laughs> well, here, here, because they're consensus. Yes, but before we get into them, let's do a quick methodology sure. because I think, you know, we have a great fan base here at the PDO cast. They, they've been tuning in since the start. They're, the they're obviously our new listeners. It's the start of a new season. Maybe yep. people are just checking out the show for the first time. So let's give them a little kind of behind the scenes in terms of the methodology for how we put together these lists because obviously it's an inexact science. It's very subjective. Now you and I... How do you balance... So one thing that I... One tension that I deal with when I'm compiling my own watchability rankings is... I, I try to fight 
the curiosity factor. Like, there are teams that I rank low, despite the fact that I'm curious about certain aspects of their team because they've made offseason changes or what have you. And I'm trying to sort of really settle in personally on, like, the team that I most expect that come random Tuesday in late November. I'm still like, oh, man, I got to watch this. Yeah, I think I think that's something that you should weigh pretty heavily yeah, because that's what too. gets you to actually tune into that game specifically, go out of your way to watch that team. Certainly, I think part of the season, especially for some of these uh, maybe less good teams, let's say, that have young players we haven't really seen before, mm-hmm. I think they're going to rank higher than they might if we do this again halfway through the season just because we really want to see how they play at the start of the year and see what they're all about. Once the season gets going, as teams like acknowledge they're going to be bad, they sell, yeah. they kind of just throw in the towel for the season. We can move away from them. But I think those teams are going to maybe surprise people how high they are on our list because we've got some – and that's that's an important thing here. This isn't us going by the standings and just you know being like who no. we think is going to be the 20th best team because what fun would that be, right? This is purely in terms of our factor for watching them this season. So it's not necessarily related how good you're, we think you're going to be compared to where you're going to be on this list. Yeah, you can be a boring contender and you can be a terrible team. Yes. Uh, so here are the things that I considered certainly i had quality of team which actually isn't as important but i Mm -hmm. think another category i had was kind of like part of a bigger conversation around the league and i think something i kept coming back to was eventually like even if you're excited to watch a good team you kind of need to keep tabs on them and tune in just to be aware of what's going on because by the time we get to the ones that are gonna um individual star power which is huge for me on this list because that is what you're watching the game for game environment and pace in terms mm-hmm. of what we expect and that's where we go into bad teams who are especially going to be porous defensively might rank highly because they're going to get into a lot of shootouts that are back and forth track meets broadcast and then just vibes yeah and that's what i had are you in agreement with that i'm mostly in agreement with that but i'd add one sort of overwhelming thing that i tried to keep in mind which was and and i sort of thought of it as like value of investment like and what i mean by that is i i tried to put myself in the shoes of this team is playing the rangers and i've got a day off in new york now the reason i do this is i'm i cover the vancouver canucks i travel to cover the vancouver canucks and and you cover a west coast team you get like the full week in new york and they play three games i also happen to have family and a lot so it's like if this team was playing the rangers on one of my nights off in new york am i making sure to get a press pass to go watch it like which team is getting me to the rink which team is going to be worth my time my return on investment in terms of like making sure i don't miss them and i tried to keep that really top of mind like which teams games are going to feel most like an event right for me that was the only other criteria that i like really weighted heavily and i'd say i weighted that more heavily than anything else okay i like it that seems like a very specific to you well i'm not sure our listeners can necessarily relate to that but 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 i think the idea of Yes, it being some I don't miss this. Yes, so don't miss this factor. Maybe I should have described it like that. Well, to be yeah. More that, well, I think that was kind of part of my like conversation thing, right? Sure. It's, it's like if people are going to be talking about it on Twitter or whatever app yeah, we're yeah. using these days, like you want to be involved in that, and so you that can't just necessarily sky. be like, I'm, I'm <laughs> exclusively watching the Blue Jackets, and then no one is actually talking about them. It's you're going to totally. feel like you're missing out, right? Yeah. So, all right, let's start our list. Number thirty-two. Uh, we were unanimous here. We both had the San Jose Sharks. You mentioned there's two teams that you felt like did not fit into that kind of spiel we had about yeah. the league being in a good place. Um, the Sharks are about as down bad right now as you can be from a 
excitement level heading into this season. I don't think people are ready for it. No, I, I don't think people have people still sort. They haven't the ducks. calibrated properly for it. No, they haven't. No. People people still sort the ducks as, as if they're in league with the ducks no. at the bottom of the Pacific, and in fact, the Pacific has like one true like even Vegas, by the way, right? The, I think the, they're only a point apart in terms only, of their line this right. season. Yeah, and it's like I love the ducks, so it's sixty-seven point five. Right, I love the Ducks over points over, and I would mash if I was permitted to bet on hockey the Sharks under at sixty six point five. Like I think this team is going to be so much worse than people are prepared for with the departure of Carlson and the you know full season without Timo Meyer. Because yep. uh, last year, at least when you have like Hurdle, Meyer, Carlson on the ice at the same time, it's like the top of your lineup can hold up. Yep. You know, and, and you start to look like one of those minnow EPL teams where it's like they're in it for 75 minutes, but then the score ends 3-1. Like the Sharks played a lot of games like that last year where in the 50th minute, the other team broke the game, but they were in it and they were competitive and they were hardworking and they sometimes even outshot you and their and they're top of the lineup could hold. And I just think this year there's no top of the lineup. There's no middle of the lineup. There's no bottom of the lineup. This team to me is trending to be like not just a lottery favorite, not just the best lottery odds favorite, but like I don't think there's anyone close in terms of the like how low their true talent level is. Well, and that effect is is felt doubly in in the sense that there's certain guys on that team that didn't really even get to play with those top players you mentioned, but just because they existed and they were taking shifts. There was like a cumulative effect of like totally. a second or third liner would come out in a more advantageous position yep. against worse players because Carlson and Meyer were on the team. Now all of a sudden those guys don't have that luxury and they're going head to head against the other team's top players. Yeah. And it could be a bloodbath. I mean, they finished with sixty points last year. And that was with hundred and one points from Eric Carlson. Who outscored Connor McDavid five on five from the back end. And thirty thirty one goals in fifty seven games from Timo Meyer. So you remove both of those. Yeah, it's good. Here's a stat for you. You mentioned that scoring rate for Carlson at five one five. So with him on the ice line at five one five, or actually no, let's let's go total minutes. They scored 150 goals in Carlson's 2,100 minutes. Without him, they scored 83 goals as a team in Oof. nearly 3,000 minutes. Oof. There were four teams in the league that scored more often shorthanded than the Sharks oh. did in just regular minutes without Eric Carlson. And so I just don't know where on a night-to-night basis it's going to come from. I kind of like those like low-risk chances they took on guys like Anthony Duclair and Philip Zadina just to see if there's something there. They can flip them later on. But ultimately... The lack of talent on this team in combination with how bad the blue line is, um, they're so far and away going to be the worst team in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, there's just there's just not a lot there. I mean, e- even if you're thinking about, like, what are... At least most of the other bad teams, and I, w- I want to go over this quickly, have, like, something that stands out to you that you're excited about, Yeah, you know? And it's like, I love wa- watching Mike Hoffman shoot on the power play, I guess. Like, I, I mean, I, I, like, I want to see, like, see William Eklund. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean... It's few and far between yes. when it comes to like even even just like exciting features of the sharks that I'll be like oh well I enjoy watching that a couple times period yeah I, I had a loss on even that front um, yeah I this team's gonna be awful I think if you don't watch a single second of sharks hockey this year you won't really miss out yeah. and so that's about as rough a statement as you can make you, but. you'll see the Eklund highlights on Twitter and you know just know that Kyle Burrows is cool and that's about it um, so thirty. 30- Philadelphia Flyers and it's at least with them this is what I'll say it doesn't factor into our decision making for this list but if you compare it to where they were at last year as an organization at this time when we had this conversation it was like it was sad because they were going to be bad and not fun 
but also they were trying and now that, that made it so much more depressing at yeah. least in this case with how they acted this offseason it's like the future is at least hopeful right like you take a home run swing when Matt Mitchkoff falls into your lap that won't affect them this year but for Flyers fans you're like firmly it's so much easier to stomach and you and it, it seems like there's part of a plan Mm-hmm. Right, because it's like their actions clearly indicated that they can't just keep doing what they've been doing for so long and doubling and tripling down. At least now they're taking a concerted step back and they're going to be bad, but it'll be on purpose. And so, as a fan, like that doesn't necessarily make it more palatable, but at the same time, you at least have like a vision in your mind of what you're trying to accomplish this season. Yeah, I, I just think it's a perfect stylistic mix too, where it's like not only is this team bad, not only do they not want to be good, but they're also coached by John Tortorella, so it's like if you love collapsing defensive structure and shot blocking, which I want to be clear as a viewer, is it I gonna don't. be is it gonna be Tortorella from ice level or Tortorella from the press box? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I, it's just like this team's gonna be brutal. Uh, a couple things I am curious about though, like I am genuinely hopeful that we get a, a throwback Couturier season. Yep. That would be awesome, and I will always have all the time in the world for Travis Konechny. Super fun. Well, those are the two guys I had on my list here. Couturier, the last time we saw him play in a game, December 18th, 2021, yeah. which was, what, 22 months ago? Yeah. Um, he's 31 now. You know, he won the Selkie in 2020, and he was playing at such a high level, and it felt like it was like a culmination of years of him being the hipster pick for for one of the best defensive boards in the league and then finally getting recognized for it. And 2020 feels like such a lifetime ago now for so many different reasons. So you're right. I think everyone's cheering for him to have a healthy season and and look good on the ice. Konechny, are you surprised they didn't move him this summer? Do you think they just kind of felt like you have to have someone out there and he can potentially build on his stock in season? One thing that would make the Flyers shoot up my rankings is mm-hmm. if Danny Briere approached this like a down bad fantasy football manager who was just like selling players after hot streaks. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of like one one there's a perverse side of me that's wondering if like we're going to see this Flyers season where, like, Konechny, you know, has a, a wild month or two weeks yeah. or what have you. And then all of a sudden he starts moving on his guys when the shooting percentage is in their favor. I'm hopeful that they do do it that way because, let's be real, they kind of should. But that might have been this summer, right? Mm. Like, he only played the 60 games, but he had 61 points. Pretty much all of them were primary. Yeah. This would, would have been the time to cash in. Now... He's what twenty six, twenty seven years old. He's still yeah. under contract for two more and years. He works like, hard. Team, like his, and teams will always want a player like that. So work rates high. Yeah, you know, a, a team with a decent defensive center is always going to think that Konechny can be like that guy's Marchand. He's always going to have that kind of calling card, that kind of cachet, and he should because he's really cool. All right, number thirty. Uh, you had well, I, you had them at twenty nine. You had the Islanders. I had them at thirty in our aggregate. They fall into thirty here. They finished with 93 points last year. Their line is at 91.5. I actually think, you know, we have them low on this list, but I actually think I kind of like them to outperform that just from the perspective of they get a full year of Bo Horvat, right? And I think he only played like 30 games yep. for them after the deadline. They get a full year of Pierre Engvall, who was awesome for them last season. And, and is genuinely fun if you like seeing yeah. just a large man carry the puck. Move north-south. North, north, which I do. Very fast. Yeah, that's the thing I enjoy. And Barzell only played 58 games. Well, and this is why... This is where I can't understand how you had them third last. Um, Matthew Barzell should never, in my opinion, be in the bottom five. You had them 29th. What do you mean? I think you had them 29th on your list. Absolutely not. I'm looking at my list right now. I had them um, far higher than that. Mm. 
Just <laughs> proof. Okay. I had them well, far higher, but Matthew Barzell There's needs... our first clerical error. Um, <laughs> Don't worry about it. So maybe they should be high on this list. But listen, I acknowledge that, and he deserves to watch from an individual perspective. I just feel like it's pretty clear that because of the way they've played and because of maybe his, his own shortcomings, he hasn't really like achieved the full potential of what you'd hope for him based on his talent level and what he's shown flashes of. For sure. Right? And so... Yeah, they could be a few spots higher, but I think ultimately it's like you also kind of know what you're going to get with this team, and I think they're going to outperform that from a wins-loss perspective, but it's not necessarily going to have you like tuning in aggressively to well, watch them. Well, the thing that I'm most interested, and this is like the curiosity factor that I was trying to neuter in my evaluation, mm. but like I genuinely think it's going to be fun, is we never really saw Barzell and Horvat get to play together, right? They were on that line together for like a week. And then Barzell got hurt, and then the Islanders ground out like yep. a series of two-one wins and made the playoffs to their credit. Yeah, but it wasn't fun. There was nothing fun about it. I feel like the Horvat Barzell partnership, especially given the way that Barzell is able to create space on the perimeter and how good Horvat is, how savvy Horvat is operating in space yeah. inside. I think there's a really neat potential combo there. And then I'd just add stuff like love watching Adam Pellick never make a mistake for thousands and thousands of minutes. Like, it's just a ton of fun. I love watching Pulock shoot. And, and I always say this every year we do this episode. I love watching Noah Dobson's jersey, like, yes. float in the wind behind him, Mike Medano style, as he carries the puck up ice. So their blue line is super fun. Barzell is not particularly fun. But I think Barzell and, and Horvat can change that as a duo. Okay, so the Islanders, you talked me into it and also... As I said, I, I, I messed up the tabulation. So they, they should be probably 27 or 28 on this list. Uh, as low as we had them, but we've got the Islanders out of the way here. Next up is the Montreal Canadiens. What are your notes on them? I mean, I think they're a, a good combination from an entertainment perspective, especially early in the year, because there is offensive talent up front, obviously, and the blue line is so bad. And because of how Marty St. Louis allows them to play, which I think is a net positive moving forward. Absolutely. It makes for fun environments where I think they're going to give up a lot. But as long as Caulfield and Suzuki are playing, they can also create some themselves. And so it gets into these fun kind of scoreboards where it's like seven to four. And you're not you're not regretting that return on investment in terms of what you spent the past two hours doing. And they've got a couple D I like watching skate. Like Gooley, I'm not as high on Caden Gooley as the, your average Montreal media member. Uh, but he's exceptionally fast. And, and it's fun to watch him skate about. Uh, Mike Matheson, you know, we didn't see enough healthy Mike Matheson on PP1 for the Montreal Canadiens last year, but I still am a believer that that could be way more potent than anyone's willing to accept. Kirby Doc on the wing, like them moving Kirby Doc to the wing, I, I still think they kind of view him as a center, and I hope they don't I think he's going to start at, the, at center. I know. I hope, that, I hope that doesn't last because Kirby Doc using his reach along the wall to, like, you know, cut off the top, uh, alter shots from the point, uh, harass defensemen, get in as, as F1 on the forecheck is super fun. Like, that's actually my favorite thing. To, it's not Caulfield shooting, which is amazing, by the way. I'm not taking anything away from it. It's it's Doc's rangy lanking about the ice being disruptive uh, on the, in the wing spot. And then, look, they added Newhook, yep. and I'm not the biggest Newhook guy uh, in terms of my eval of him, him as a player, but there's no doubt in my mind. Like, Newhook with the puck is can be, anyway, a ton of fun, especially in space 
And I'm excited to see if Rafael Harvey Pinard can keep up his per 60 stats <laughs> yeah. this season. That is, that is something that every numbers person is curiously <laughs> watching this season. Um, no, oh, there's certainly... Montembeau, I, I, too, by the way, is like good chaos in net with his puck handling and stuff. He is. He's fun to watch. And oh, before I move on to this, you mentioned Matheson. If you're playing like in a, in a fantasy pool or something, he's a great late round pick because he's going to accumulate a ton of stats and it's unless I guess maybe plus minus if it's that's category but uh otherwise I think he's gonna be a good pick I, so. I, was, I was with Chris Faber and he's in a no hits fantasy league and he was drafting during an intermission at the uh at the game we were covering last night and he was like man I'm really messed up on defense and with his last two round picks I, I told him to take Matheson and Dursey nice and I'm pretty sure he's fine like those, I'm pretty sure he's got two slam dunk picks slam dunks so yeah I like that. Okay, um, <laughs> very excited about Faber's punt D fantasy. Football okay, this is a, this team. is a, this is a good one here. Twenty eight for us, the Anaheim Ducks. See, this rating is too low given how excited I am to watch the Ducks. But but you had them twenty seventh. No, I, they had to be twenty seventh because yeah. there's so many. Exciting I had them twenty six. Let the record show you. Fair uh, and and I but I think we're right. To have I think them we low. had them embarrassingly high last year. I'd have to go back and check, but we were like yeah. we had them. Almost, I'd say, in the Buffalo tier in terms of well, like us talking them up. And one, one for two ain't bad. We, well, one for three because we also had the Devils. Um, no, that's two for three. We were all two in for on three, the Devils. Right. Yeah. yeah, we were all in on the Devils. Yeah, don't try to take away the Devils. No. From us. We, we, we were all in on a bunch of teams, and the Ducks were one of them. And <laughs> you can't, you, no one bats a thousand. Um, I mean, the Ducks were just so shamefully bad defensively last year that it wasn't even the worst fun to watch. team we had record. It wasn't fun. Yeah, it actually wasn't even fun. The chaos that they played in last year. Well, and the problem with it is it was so bad. It didn't resemble NHL hockey. No, it didn't. which makes it impossible almost to evaluate any of the players they had. Right? It's like it, this is just isn't a rep. Like this isn't equivalent to anything else you'll see in the league. So it's it's gotten so bad that it's almost it's becoming detrimental. Right? Yeah. And so I'm really curious to see what the change in coach is going to do. Right? Because everything we've heard so far from Greg Cronin is. He's talking a good game in terms of like how much the game, like modernizing their approach, right? Like using sort of coming from that avalanche organization, seeing what they've done with their with their pro club in terms of the positional interchangeability, right? All five players need to be able to play around the ice. Our defensemen need to be allowed to to roam free and activate and try to contribute offensively, and that's very exciting for all the young talent they're going to introduce over the next couple of years at that position. So if that's going to be the case. I think I need to be back in on the Ducks. I just am so burned from Last how year. it didn't reflect an NHL team in terms of the product that you couldn't you couldn't rationally have them higher than this. But I'm willing to keep the door open that a couple of weeks in, I might start talking myself back into them. Well, they also haven't made their final cuts yet. Yeah, and that's another thing where. Well, so are we? Are we thinking Zellweger is going to be on the team? I, I mean, currently, anyway. As we record this, Zellweger, Leno, and Minchukov haven't been reassigned. Okay. And until I know which ones of those players I get to watch on a regular basis, uh, it's hard for me to like fairly rank them. Right? Like, if I think I think Olin Zellweger is going to be must-watch television the moment he steps foot on an NHL ice sheet. Um, I think Leo Carlson's going to massively smash expectations so i kind of want to see exactly where they land in terms of their young guys before really backing this ranking but i just think they were so deeply unserious last year it's really hard for them to get out of the bottom five even though on talent they have a very clear path to like skyrocketing up for our mid-season watchability ranking show 
Well, and pretty much at all times, they're gonna. It seems like based on the way they're structuring their four group right now, they're gonna have like Zegers and Terry or mm-hmm. McTavish or Carlson, yeah, on the ice for most of the game. Yeah, and so, funny. like in terms of like wanting to watch individual talent and seeing how young players uh, proceed, that's gonna be exciting. But th- the blue line is like what I keep coming back to here, where if this is handled with care and approached correctly. Like the 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 upside is so high for this organization over the next couple of years. Yeah. We've seen this, unfortunately, like the development of defensemen, especially like young skilled guys like this, is so precarious sometimes and so like volatile. And if it doesn't hit, it could like flame out very badly. But I'm so eager to see if they can like capture lightning in a bottle here and get the most out of this because, like the names you mentioned there, is it it's such an exciting group to think about. Yeah, I mean, they were literally the top defensemen in the WHL, OHL, and QMJHL. Yeah. And they're Not all... to mention Drysdale, who they just extended for three right. years now, has been and, back as and well. And we haven't seen him in a while. Yep. And I think people have forgotten just how dynamic, like just how big a problem. Right? Drysdale's a problem for opponents in the same way like a guard who can break down <laughs> defensive structure in basketball is. Like he's a ton of fun. A ton of fun. Also, like Rako Gudas is such a perfect character. These guys... It's awesome. If you're going to have him as a, I can't think of a better combination. Yes. And I would say the Kalorn injury is unfortunate too. Cause I remember like, I used to love watching uh, like Terry and Getzlaff. You know what I mean? Like when Terry, when Getzlaff, Terry and Zegers was playing with Milano, mm-hmm. but Getzlaff had Terry and another young yep. guy on the, on his wing. And it was, he functioned like Krang, Ninja Turtles, where he was like the brain, you know what I yep. mean? But, but he had these two young guys who could still get it done physically, who he just kind of, you know, put the puck into space and like help them think their way around the ice, and it was a ton of fun. I feel like Kalorn's a smart enough player to have a similar dynamic with one of Anaheim's young forwards, and and I think once he gets back, you're going to see a, a particularly fun top six line form yep. immediately. Yeah. Yep. All right, Tom. Let's take our break here, and then how we many co- teams do we get come through? back? Uh, we're up to twenty seven now. We're okay. gonna we're gonna when we come back from the break, we're gonna we'll do twenty seven. So we'll need to go fast. Ah, it's okay. I mean, this is this is inevitable. <laughs> Uh, you're listening to the Hockeypedia cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back here with Thomas Drans. We're doing the watchability rankings, Tom. We've gotten through the first couple teams here as we work our way down from 32 to 1. Number 27, the Columbus Blue Jackets, who you were a bit higher on. You had them at 25, I believe. Give me your case for the Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets are, in my view anyway, like there's a, there's a lot of guys on that team who I think are really exciting. I, yep. I, you know, Lion A might be flawed, might be a bit of a one-trick pony, but what a trick, mm. right? And then... Obviously, Gaudreau, uh, KJ, Kent Johnson, the, the wizard of Port Moody, is must-watch television, in, in my view. One of the most uniquely skilled forwards in this league. Uh, but for me, where, what sort of separates the Blue Jackets is the volume of guys that they have on the radar who mm-hmm. do really fun stuff. Yeah. Like, Nick Blankenberg is not a name that a lot of people have heard, but Nick Blankenberg plays so hard. And so fast, and he'll throw at least a hit every time you watch the game that is a ton of fun to watch an undersized defenseman throw, right? He's got some of that Tory, like young Tory Krug gene in him where these hits are just massive, but it's a relatively small guy throwing them. 
I'm so curious to see what David Yurichik looks like. I think he's going to be awesome. The preseason returns have been a ton of fun, especially with him carrying the puck. And then all of that is to exclude having mentioned Adam Fantilli. Yes. Who is, I mean, in any other year. He's going to be a bulldozer. He's, he he yeah. already is a bulldozer. Yeah. And, like, he's ready. He's an NHL player now. He's going to be good immediately. And his his collection of physical tools, like, he's the fastest guy in that draft class. Yep. He's the fastest guy in that draft class, and he also just happens to be, like, a six-foot-two human who can think of the game at an extremely high level. He's going to be a ton of fun. And it feels like it's been a while now because he got hurt so early in the year, but I'm really excited for Zach Rinsky to be back and healthy yeah. because when he's active and he's playing at his best, he's one of the most unique offensive defensemen in the game in terms of the way he reads where the puck is in the offensive zone and gets himself into the middle of the ice in that like medium distance to shoot from. So fun to watch. So I hope he's back and healthy. Yeah, he's a classy and, defenseman. And, and you know what? The, the Blue Jackets were similar to what we were talking about with the Ducks before the break. Like, Things got so bad at both ends of the ice, particularly defensively for the Ducks, that it was tough to evaluate. The Blue Jackets were almost similar last year, right? In, where, in moments, yeah. Where like that game against the Sabres, and, and you know, um, no shame in that, because the Sabres, as we're going to talk about, are going to do that to, any, to anybody. But like the, the Tage Thompson five-goal game, right? It's like, it just, games fails so quickly and so emphatically that it became really tricky to know like if anyone was good, right? And yeah. and. That's unfair, obviously, because I'm sure there's individual players. So I think this year, with better health and some of these upgrades, um, they could be a team that could be a riser. And like, I'm not sure. I think in the offseason, once they acquired Provorov, once they acquired Severson, there was a lot of buzz of like, oh, they're like serious about you know trying to be, make a playoff push this year. I'm not seeing that, but I think from like an entertainment perspective, they could be a team that rises pretty quickly uh, early in the season for us. Yeah, I, I think no question, and yeah. I mean, look, if you have, if you are offering me Kent Johnson, Adam Fantilli, and then a bunch of interesting pieces around the fringes without even mentioning one of the best long-range shooters in the league and one of the most scintillating playmakers in the league, especially off the wing in Johnny Gaudreau, like, I'm in. I, I think, you, you know, I'm, I'm watching 20 Blue Jackets games. <laughs> I can't help myself. I love it. Okay, 26 on our list, the Winnipeg Jets. You had them all the way down to 28. Yeah. I had them 24th. Uh, is this? I mean, I understand ranking them high because there's two things the Jets have that I can't get enough of. Mm -hmm. One is Nikolai Ehlers carries the puck anywhere on the ice sheet. Oh, the, the 12 minutes you get to see that every night? It's going to be fun. Well, but that's yeah. the thing. It is, I find it frustrating. Yeah. And then number two is Kyle Connor works to get open and then does and then scores. Mm. Kyle Connor operating in space. Like, absolute Cooper Cup vibes. Just like, he's uncoverable. And it's so much fun. I find I find Kyle Connor's game, like, the fact that he's all so fast and, like, lethal off the rush is almost unfair because I'm pretty sure Kyle Connor would be, like, one of the most lethal goal scorers in the NHL if he was, like, if he had absolute lead in his skates. Yeah. Like, if he couldn't move, I still think his uncanny understanding of how to work to get open would, would make him one of the NHL's best goal scorers. So the fact that he's also incredibly quick <laughs> is, like, unfair. Those two are two of my favorite players in the league, and yet, stylistically, in terms of what the Jets are going to do, in terms of how reliant they constantly are on Hellebuck, um, in terms of what defenders get minutes, in terms of how they compose their first power play unit, like, there's just nothing that appeals to me about how they approach trying to win. 
and I ding them for that. Well, I think we had this was probably our main talking points last year when we ranked them as well. Was if you just looked at the names on paper, this team has no business being this low on the list. But unfortunately, I've watched Rick Bonus led teams, and I think it's going to be kind of more of the same now. You know, they did make some moves in the offseason, right? Maybe not as many as we thought, but they, they got rid of Blake Wheeler. They traded away Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I think they did really well in that trade, bringing back Ayafala and Velarde. And Kupari. So there's different players involved Kupari, here. So, no, certainly. And, and Kupari adds watchability. There's I, a lot of talent on this team, and I think they should, in better hands, be able to get more out of them. But I just can't shake the feeling of, like, that last performance, and I know they were banged up, like Shifley was hurt as well, but, like, how they went out with a whimper against the Golden Knights in yeah. round one and then just getting absolutely blasted by Rick Bonus in terms of like not competing and all of this. Yeah. And then like not that much changing. I just I don't know. Maybe 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 I'll be proven wrong, but I'm not expecting all of a sudden a dramatic turnaround in terms of like how ambitious this team is going to be. I'd add this like I think losing Dubois takes more off watchability than people realize yeah. based on his east-west creativity. Yes. Um like, you know, Filardi for me I follow are like good middle six guys. I'm a big Kupari guy. Like I think Kupari's a, a real player to watch if he can graft a little bit more defensive solidity into his game, which I absolutely think he can do based on his age. I think there's some, you know, uh, like low end Grabowski slash Backland potential there, which I, I say with the intention of it being the highest praise. I think he's a, a really fun player to watch, but when I think about Winnipeg, I think I'm going to be more interested in watching their press conferences after games than I am watching their games. And I don't think that's a good spot to be in from pure watchability standpoint. Yeah, I think the power play is going to be fun, right? If you think about the personnel with like Morrissey up top and then Shifley and Connor opposing flanks, and then I've already seen a bit of like Velarde kind of in that net front slash coming out to the yep. bumper, like working the puck through him. And he'll be a good playmaker. I think there's going to be spot. a lot of like fun action. But I'm still going to be like, where's Ehlers? Well... He's he's like the um, the Poochie character that they introduced in. Yeah. When he's not on screen, everyone should be asking where's Ehlers. Like, I'm sick of it being year seven with this guy, and I'm just watching the Jets being like, where's Ehlers? Where's Ehlers, Strang? Where's Ehlers? Um, <laughs> okay, number twenty five on our list, the Washington Capitals. You were higher on them than I had. I was. I a team that has perennially since I've been doing this exercise been either in my top five or top half of this list. I bumped them down this year just because. You mentioned that kind of curiosity factor of what to expect heading into these games and that drawing you in to watch some of these teams. Is there really any curiosity factor with this beyond obviously Ovechkin scoring goals and them doing everything they can as an organization to help him smash the record? Like, is there what's the curiosity for you in terms of tuning in to watch the Washington Capitals this season? Well, first of all, their over under is set at 85. 5.5 and there is no bigger under smash in the entire league like smash that under in my opinion mash it um so there's some things i like watching the caps number one i love how nobody wants to score an empty net goal on their team yeah it's super funny like i love how the i think team that's exclusively is... why they got rid of daniel sprung because he was the one guy that wanted to <laughs> i love the way like there was one Capitals player, I don't remember who it was, but he like scored on like a attempted clearing, you know, from his like own end of the rink, and he like goes to the bench to be the first guy through for Fizz, like literally apologizing as he goes. <laughs> so there's like quirks about a team that is literally built to chase the scoring record for one player that I find engaging. And and there's some things I like about the team. Like 
I'm a big oh, Sonny Milano guy. Good players. Yeah, they do have good players. Yeah. I, I'm really curious to see what Rasmus Sandin looks like in a, in a far bigger role than we've ever seen before because he's fun. Mm-hmm. He's legitimately fun. Nick Jensen, I have an absurd amount of time for Nick Jensen. We'll do our our guys show at some point, and yep. like Nick Jensen's just a fixture there. Just like. Sign him up for me every single time. I think time. you have to retire him after someone's been on your list for like eight straight seasons. Okay, you fair to, enough. You can't I, do I can't, no. so I'll have to move to Faravari. But either yeah. way, like the, the Capitals have guys I like. They have players that I think are fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, this just feels like the most predictable 83-point season imaginable. Like It's a good red zone team. Like, just give me, yeah. give me like... Give me their power plays. Give me their power play. Give me like yep. Ovechkin's in a, a position to score. Yep. I'll watch that. I can I can follow them on on social media. I think I don't necessarily need to watch their full games. Hundred percent. I think that's right. Number twenty four, the Detroit Red Wings, who you had down at thirty, Thomas, down at thirty. I had him up at nineteen. Other other than the fact that um, Mo Sider running guys over, or other guys hitting Mo Sider and them falling down, like yeah. other, other than the fact that Mo Sider. Is a is a house that happens to play defense. I can't think of like, yeah. I mean, I guess there's a few things. It's just I just don't think there's a lot that's like really going to draw me in. And what is going to draw me in is like a couple of their players who are so physically imposing that I almost find it comical or or entertaining. Like, well, the, the, I can't think of his name right now for some reason. But their fourth line, their fourth liner. The, the the big tree trunk. Michael Rasmussen. Well, no, no, it's um, Rasmussen. But then they've got the, uh, the oh uh, Soderblom. Soderblom. Yeah. Right. It's like wh- when when they had that Soderblom, yeah. Rasmussen, and uh, Bergeron. Yeah. No, 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 no. It was uh, uh, Sunquiz, maybe. I think it was Bergeron. Okay. Bergeron's not big. Right. Anyways, I, I remember at the start of the year last year. And, yeah, and was, they had uh, those four. Tri- what was there? The, yeah. I can't think of the third. Who the third member on it was, but. That was super fun. I mean, look, Daniel Sprong, any team with Daniel Sprong, I probably shouldn't have this low because watching him shoot the puck is always a joy. But I, th- it's, a, it's a defense that I don't think is going to move the puck very dynamically. Yeah. It's a team that I don't think is going to be very imposing. And while I think they'll be solid and, and like, Iserman's built some decent nothing pops from an elite talent standpoint, and I, I find that, uh, like, that doesn't engage me. That doesn't have me – that's definitely not getting me out to MSG. If they're playing the Rangers. Well, here's the thing. I talked about this a lot on the show last year. I thought they made the mistake of when they brought in Derek Lalonde to be their coach from Tampa Bay. They tried to skip a few steps as an organization in terms of their progression, right? Like they almost, they skipped that Buffalo Sabres step from last year where they tried to become like a serious playoff team in terms of the way they played. And so like they put so much attention to detail defensively and and tried to play in a way that I don't think was conducive to the players they had. And so their offense just absolutely suffered last season. And that's not something that like a young rebuilding team should be going through. If anything, it should be the opposite, where they're bad defensively, but the offensive talent you see shining through on a nightly basis gives you hope for more. Yeah. And so that's why I, I disagreed like once again this offseason with how much they invested in players based on where they are. But at least when you bring in like Gostas Bear and Sprong, right? And 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 to bring at at least like their players they didn't have last year that theoretically will help them so it's not all Dylan Lorican or bust offensively. Yeah. And so maybe it's wishful thinking for me because like when 
they're good or when they're playing a fun game at home, like their crowd is always so lively. Yeah, I like their awesome. broadcast, except for when Chris Osgood is is doing the play, but is the color commentary. I, I'm not. I like the regular one with with uh, Mickey Redmond, but maybe it's wishful thinking. I just want more of that, and they've shown glimpses of it. Um, I think it's right to be like disappointed. And offensively, they were way further back than they should have been last year. But I don't know. I kind of want to see how all these they brought in at least at the start of the season fit. I'm not expecting all of a sudden to take this massive leap, but I think there are like there's very clear room to green trace. Yeah. And so I'm hoping we see that. Well, I I think they're going to be better just from a watchability standpoint. I'm not in, and uh, and this is too bad too because they do have one of my favorite players of the last decade in David Perron. Mm. And I, and I feel like if you give David Perron, like David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly, when they had that just same page chemistry going was honestly one of my favorite things to watch because there, there's something about like true hockey telepathy. That I can't get enough of. I just don't know that he's got anyone who thinks the game at his level on this team. You know, uh, hopefully it's one of the young guys. Hopefully he can do the, uh, like gets laugh thing with like Marco Casper or something as the season goes along. But I just, I don't know. It just mm. feels like a lot of middle six guys with a couple of like low end first liners. And it, it's just not enough to draw me in. Yeah. Well, the next team on our list is the Ottawa senators. So we're up to 23. Now you had them 24th. I had them senators 20th. fans in shambles that we could possibly rate an elite team with so much elite talent this low. I just feel bad for the senators, man. I'm worried about Josh Norris. Yeah. And I, have you heard anything? Like, because he's still no. not playing, and there's, like, uncertainty about when he's going to play. And I think I was higher on them heading into last year than you were. Um, maybe not as high as Senators fans were on this team, but I was higher on them. I was and we never really making got, fun of Hot Pierre Summer and we, the and we literally summer. And we never really got to see it, right, because Norris got hurt. And I think he's, like— he's, Oh, I think we got to see the Senators. We know, we know what this team is. They still just—they don't have enough on the back end, and they're not going to have enough on the back end this year either. Well, and certainly not down the middle if Norris is going to be hurt. No. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, they have good players. Stutzla might be a real guy. I oh, love Oh, I think you can remove the might. Huh? He's awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. He's a stud. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, no, but I mean a real – I'm when I say he might be a real guy, I'm talking like top 10 centerman. I'm talking like to the point where you'd mention Stutzla alongside like Braden Point and stuff. He's not there yet. Yeah, well, that's a tough list to crack. No, but, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. He might be a yeah, real guy. okay. Um, which is high praise. I'm not everyone saying that. worse than a real guy in your eyes. No, but like, no, nah, no, I'm being until I'm being until you I answer I, for me. For me, it's Braden Point is the perfect litmus test where it's like until you answer the question in the affirmative of Are you better than Braden Point? Yes, right. That's like there's five guys in the world hmm. who pass that test. Yes, <laughs> maybe maybe six depending on your mileage on Sebastian Ajo. Anyway, Stutzel might be one of those real guys. I, I love me some Brady Kachuk. Like, Brady Kachuk and Stutzla are, are really floating this Senators ranking for me. Um, I just, they play, aesthetically, they don't play fun hockey. Well, the wrong coach. I think a different coach I was trying to say for this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then, I don't think they have enough puck moving from the back end. I don't think they connect play well enough. And... You know, I, I end up feeling like I'm watching sort of a, a half-formed thought, uh, a team that remains, you know, a general manager away from being. I think they're going to have enough puck moving off the back end if they have, like, one of Shabbat, Sanderson, or Brandstrom on the ice at all times, no? Like, yeah, I, I mean, okay. we've seen this story before, though. Brandstrom's going to be criminally underused. Yes, yeah. Sanderson's, I, I'm a big Sanderson guy. Yeah. Shabbat's awesome. Yeah, the contract was a home run. Yeah, home yeah. run. 
I like Zoob. Like it's anyway. I'm just not into. I I I know that this team is tenth in the East. I know that I'm going to hear too much about it. Yeah. And I know that at no point are they going to look capable of doing more. And that that lack of suspense is what I find so dull, especially when it's combined with this like ceaseless cycle of overhype and dashed hopes. Mm. <laughs> 20, 20 second on my <laughs> The Calgary Flames. Um, I think this one's like we both had them at 21st on our list. Yeah. Um, I think the argument for this is pretty simple. Like last year was just as miserable as you could possibly have a year. Like from, I remember you like going to the games and doing a show the next night with me and talking about just like how like defeated the general atmo- like energy around the team was at all times. They like, looked like a team down that didn't want to make the like, playoffs. All right, it's over. They lost thirty-one goal games last year, and and that's like a chicken or the egg situation. But like that's almost statistically impossible to repeat. And so just based on that alone, they're going to be better, and I think that is going to lead to a more positive atmosphere. Right? They got the back line. We'll see yep. on Lindholm. The vibe seems it seems very like different things are going to shift season. very dramatically. Yeah. And of course, a losing streak to start the year can all of a sudden bring that pendulum back. But for the most part right now, it does seem like there's reasons for optimism. And we'll see, like, for as much as you want to, you know, talk about Daryl Sutter, like, he got results out of all of his teams, really, especially mm-hmm. at 5-on-5 five five in terms of possession and playing a certain way. We'll see in terms of results. But based on where their line is right now, I still feel like it'll be pretty hard for them not to at least flirt with that, if not smash the over, just based on like some positive regression. Yeah, the. I mean, I I think they'll smash their over, which is set at one ninety two five. Yeah, it's not the 90s, I Yeah, I, I mean, I think the but I thought they were going to be good last year and was wildly disappointed. True. Um. Their their watchability ranking, I think, would be a lot higher for me if Shillington was going to be in the lineup mm-hmm. because one thing, like I love the Calgary Flames defense core, but there's not really enough dynamic puck carrying without Shillington in the lineup, and, and hopefully uh, whatever personal issue has kept him away uh, gets resolved and we get to watch him play hockey again because it's a ton of fun. Uh, Nikita Zadorov, though, single-handedly, he's like Atlas holding up the world. He single-handedly makes this defense group way more otherwise like responsible games um would permit Uyghur to but but Zadorov in particular I might be one of my favorite players to watch live in the entire sport I I love the risks he takes I love the way he jumps into the play he's so the best way and then Peliche's injury also I think dings their watchability a fair bit um without Peliche um and you know hopefully um who's their young center I, his name's just escaping me for no reason at all but he's he's been awesome at training camp, uh, Coronado. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I think they're gonna play him on the wing, but yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's been he's been fun in. Pre- I think I wish they had like without the with the Pel- if Pelche was in the lineup, they'd have an emerging talent that I think would have skyrocketed them closer yeah, more, to average. More wing scoring, right? Because when you have Lindholm, yeah. Backlund, Kadri down the middle, pretty good foundation to build off of. But then if you look at the wingers, I do. I think we're both in agreement that Huberto is gonna bounce back this year, right? Obviously not to what. He did in his final year in Florida. I don't think he ever would have replicated that. But based on what we saw last year, like it was very clear that it was a confluence of things. But he also like the timing was just so off that I just it's not like he regressed to like in terms of like all of a sudden he's not the was before. He was just 
he just looked completely off. And to me, that's something that is actually like fixable. And I'm yeah. expecting that this season. I think the passing is going to be much more crisp. And I think that's going to lead to many more points for him. So I'm expecting a bounce back there, and that would obviously be huge for their score. Yeah, and, and huge for their watchability. I mean, I was I was expecting Huberto to be, like, the perfect complement for Lindholm. Yeah. And it just never happened. They never were able to, like, establish that. No, they no. never found that chemistry. Um, and then and then one one other guy I love watching, like, I think Mangiapane is just a ton of fun to watch because he's just never stops working such hard. a high motor yeah. guy yeah and uh and i always i always enjoy rooting for guys like that but i also always just enjoy them play hockey okay tom uh let's take another break here and then when we come back we're getting into our 20s we're getting into, in, almost into our teens here we're at 21 yeah. so uh we're gonna smash through that you're listening to the hockey pedio guest streaming on the sports Night radio network discussing the biggest stories that matter to vancouver sports fans halford and bruff in the morning subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts all right tom we're back here in the hockey video guys doing the watchability rankings we are at 21 overall the st louis blues you had him 23rd i had him 18 i think they're a nice combination of i really like their forwards and they might have the most egregious blue line in the league especially on a, a per dollar perspective at least that it's going to be fun now. There was such uh, a revelation offensively two years ago, yeah. and it was largely shooting percentage driven. And I had made the argument that I think that I thought it was legit because of their passing. And I felt like they were really getting such good looks that it would carry over. It didn't as much last year. Now it was just kind of a season from hell, right? They had injuries. They became sellers. I still like this forward group quite a bit. Me too. And so I think they're going to play some fun games because of the blue line and the goaltending. I don't think it's going to, lead to a successful season but i think you can make they like should be somewhere in this like 18 to 22 range have we talked enough the blues losing wallman and dunn for nothing yeah given the state of their blue line and the money that they were simultaneously investing a bunch of guys that aren't getting it done like that could be your top pair yeah dunn can play his offside like anyway i that's just something about the blues but mm -hmm. I, there's a lot that i like like i love watching rob thomas play i love watching him make plays Jordan Cairo is obviously. I mean, incredible. him, which is like, yeah, the nerdy pick for most fun line in the league. It, it, they're super fun, and then they have some, you know, things that I like that are like less obvious. Like I love watching Torpchenko play. Mm. <laughs> I, I find him fascinating. Um, if they get anything out of Kapanen, and I suspect they probably already regret that waiver claim, but if they get anything, you know how fun Kapanen can be. They're getting forty goals out of Brandon this season. Out of who? Jacob Ranum. <laughs> yeah, I it's mean, it's happening. That would be awesome. Because, yeah, Vrana's super fun when he's on. So, yeah, I mean. A rejuvenated Kevin Hayes? I could see it. I mean, they got him for free. But but also, but if, I mean, Kevin Hayes is, could be really sick on the power play for them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, look, the Blues, I'm never upset to spend my evening watching the Blues play hockey. Yep. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of goals both ways. Yeah, and both ways. That makes for good viewing. Number 20. Minnesota Wild. You had them at 11th on your list. They were in that range for me last year. I bumped them all the way down to 25 this year because I thought they just they reverted back to like the, all the worst stereotypes of the Minnesota Wild last year, <laughs> and it was something I was pushing back on for a couple of years. But they were just so reliant on, for on Kaprizov for offense last year, right? And when, yeah. when him and Zuccarello, the chemistry they have when they're humming, it's really fun to watch. But there was like a 20 game stretch in the middle of last season where he factored into every single goal they like just. It was, they just had no other recourse. And part of it was bad luck. Like, if you look, Matt Boldy had three 
five on five primary assist all year, which for a player that talented who played as much as he did is impossible to repeat. So I think there's going to be more goals that just come naturally because of the players they have. But it wasn't a very encouraging sign. And I, I, I wonder, like, that's probably they're comfortable doing that, right? Because they were successful last year, obviously not in the postseason, but they got back there. And so I'm not sure what to expect from them. But 29th in the league in 5-on-5 scoring as a team last season did not encourage a lot of confidence from me. So I just couldn't have them as high as you did. Yeah, fair enough. I, look, you have the sort of chemistry and creativity that Zuccarello and Kaprizov have. I'm going to weigh that very, very heavily, and I did. Well, and if you're going individual talent, Kaprizov is like right up there. Right up there. But it's also the way the interplay between those two is just so much fun. You know, there's like there there's a geometry to the way that they complement one another that I I just find as aesthetically pleasing as almost anything you'll find. And combine that with the raw power uh, on another line that Matt Boldy can bring uh, through the neutral zone in terms of how he attacks. Uh, You know, that that's that's something I rate very very highly and and it's why they sort of rated why, why i ranked them so highly they, there's also a bunch of like little things i like on their team like i, I love watching guys like spurgeon and brodine defend i yeah. just think they've got a lot of smart players yeah, you can add brock faber to that list right and only seen a couple of games but yeah i think when we do our guys list i think he might be on it i, I he's gonna be he's gonna be fun if you like the subtleties mm-hmm. of the game and then you know they've got some like guys like gaudreau and Haim and some other guys that I quite enjoy. So I know, but like I know those are absolutely just guys. At but. the deadline, they added Marcus Johansson and Gus Nyquist, and it was like such a breath of fresh air, like just seeing people Speed. who could pass a puck and just do stuff. Yeah. And you know, they retained Johansson, Nyquist left, and I think that spoke more to the state of the team's offensive approach than it did to like what those guys are at this point of their career. And so I'm just not necessarily. They probably won't be 29 just because. When you have like Caprizov, Zuccarello, and Boldy, Boldy yeah. it won't be a bottom four team or whatever at five on five. But I think the year they had two years ago might be extreme that they can't reach again offensively. And and I think they're probably comfortable doing so, right? You yeah. look at they'll look, still safely be a playoff team. Yeah. I just at the end of the day, I think where we're we're just waiting how much we value the watchability of the top line a little bit differently. For me, it's still a point. And the thing viewing. is there there's like ten to twelve times a season when Kaprizov is truly cooking, like he's good every night. Yeah. But there's like 10 times this everything I do is going to be done with like an extra level of flair. And if I know that heading in, like yeah. I feel like him and Kucherov are at the top of that list for me. I don't know if you have anyone else, but like when they're dialed in and every single little thing they try is working, it's like I'm just tuning in because I don't want to miss the next shift. And they're, they're good all, all year. They're going to be productive. They're going to get their points. But sometimes when they're off, like it looks really bad and they can't yeah. connect with a single pass and you're like, ah, that does not look good. I don't know why he keeps trying to force the issue there. But then when it all clicks on that one magical evening and it happens a handful, like tw- 10 times a year, it's scintillating. I, I, don't, I don't think he has the gulfs, but the, the guy who I would say when he's throwing fireballs, I can't look away is Nathan McKinnon. Nathan yeah. McKinnon at his predatory best, I, I can't. That's my favorite but, thing to watch. That's the beautiful thing about Nathan McKinnon is that is every night. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> Um, okay, 19 on our list, the Boston Bruins. You had them at 14, I had them at 22. They finished with 135 points last year, uh, as we all remember. This was the hardest team to rank, I thought. Their line is 105, 100.5, right? Yeah. I don't want to bet against like the infrastructure and the high-end pieces are still there, right? Marchand, Pasternak, 
Lindholm and McAvoy, and the goaltending, like yeah. the coaching, like like there's a there's a system there in place. I guess there is a question of how much, even though Bergeron's ice time was dwindling by year, how yeah, much just, head coach. just having him there <laughs> yeah. is like that quarterback where like they're even if he's handing the ball off, it's because he went up to the line. And he like saw what the other team was doing, and then he allowed the other players to succeed. I wonder if there's a bit of that, and if like everyone is going to take a bit of a step back. They played a Tuesday game in Vancouver in February last year, and there did a goalie score in that one. That sorry, so it was a Saturday game because you're right. Olmark scored in that game to to win three one, and but it was February anyway. And Marchand went out of position on his first or second shift to lay a hit on the forecheck. It wasn't like an egregious play. It's just, it was like slightly just chasing, out, a hit. Yeah. just chasing a hit. And on the way back up the rink, like it goes the other way, Canucks break the other way. They get sort of like a two on one. Bergeron has to skate back, hustle back to break it up. And then on his way back up, Marchand slashes through the neutral zone and like absolutely has a Canucks player beat. If, if Bergeron hits him with the perfect pass and Bergeron, very clearly looks him off and flips it in and it was just this moment this reminder of like hey we're not playing that way tonight like we are expending 70 percent energy we are sticking in with our system and we are going to win this 2-1 and, and maybe Elmark will score at the end and it was just this of intelligence that you very rarely see in any nhl game bergeron had it it's going to i think it's going to matter a lot that he's departed well and the brilliance is that repetition of like the reliability of if all else failed you knew patrice bergeron was going to be a couple feet away from the net in whatever zone you were <laughs> in the middle of the ice yeah right and he'll be available for a pass he'll be able to open a breakout he'll make everyone's life easier yeah and all of a sudden we're moving that it's not like i miss him already ah it sucks. <laughs> I'm like sad about I it. I know. I know. It's brutal. I, I, so I really struggled to rank, rank them because yeah. without Bergeron, without Krejci, I mean, their center depth is... Well, right now, Daily Faceoff has Morgan Geeky <laughs> centering their third and fourth line. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I like Geeky, but... <laughs> it's a bold strategy, Kyle. <laughs> At the end of the day, I just couldn't... I couldn't go average or even below for a team that has Marchand, Pasternak, McAvoy. Like, yeah. there's too many guys... I really like watching, um, you know, that, that Poitras guy's been pretty interesting in mm -hmm. preseason. They're asking a lot of him. We'll, we'll see how it pans out. But they they just have a little too much talent, and I still think they're going to absolutely cook five on four, and that's going to um, that's going to be enough that I watch a lot of their games. Well, bringing in Shattenkirk, Lucic, and James Van Riemsdyk in 2015 would have been a slam dunk. Yeah. 2023 might not be as yeah. fruitful, but obviously they were so limited. Like, heading into the offseason, right, their cap was so bleak that, yeah, they right. basically could only take better minimum guy. The problem with going all in, right, is it is what happens if you lose. And it's what you should do every time. Hundred percent. Th there is a and, but but we are now we are now, you know, at the point where they're like short stacked at the table. Yeah, and I I do think we're going to feel it, and yet they're a good enough player that like I still want to see them play a few hands. Well, and the thing is, is like they've played a certain unique way where like we talk about like. They like utilize the geometry on the ice where they do these like cross corner dump oh, ins, right? Awesome. Like it's always these weird angles. And there's enough guys that were still on those teams that are still good to make me think that they can keep doing that. They might not be like on a night to night basis as consistently as Patrice Bergeron allowed them to do it. But I, it's not like they're all of a sudden going to like forget how to do all those things and all of a sudden just completely change the way they play, right? I think it'll yeah. be a lot of what they did last year, just probably not as good. So. I mean, that's baked in the fact that their over-under is 
35 points below what it was last year. That's but it's wild. Um, 100, 100, 101 points is still like yeah. lofty. I, th- I look, no one's ever made a lick of money betting, betting against, against like, the Boston. This is Bruins, the year, <laughs> but this is the year. Uh, number 18. Oh, this is this is beautiful. Number 18, the Carolina Hurricanes. You had them at 13, I had them at 23. I wrestled with the idea of having them 30th. This has got to be our biggest split. Let the record show that they're only this high on the list because of you. And because I, well, also because I knew you would ding them. No, that tells me <laughs> that Big Corsi has sadly already gotten to you. <laughs> and you're in their pockets. Yeah. And I regret, I regret to report that, but. There's some truth to that. <laughs> I mean, listen, they finished with 113 points last year. They're projected for 107.5 this year. They're, I believe, in pole position to win the President's Trophy, right? They're the favorite to finish the league season be. with most points. And they should be. You're right. Like, I think thoughts that are well-documented already at this point of, like, why it's not for me. But you'd have to be an idiot to <laughs> argue with, like, the success, right? Like, they no one Dmitry Orlov. And Michael Bunting. I know. And, yeah, I mean. But Dmitry th- Orlov, like. I would say that only three teams in the entire league added a genuine top of the lineup piece this summer: Tom. the LA Kings, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Carolina Hurricanes, and they do it every year. He's the twenty-first highest-paid defenseman in the league this season, and he's their third left-shot defenseman. Oh, that's so good. He's so sick. He's so sick. But once again, did did they do enough to like make you feel better about? Well, they were right there last year. They were right there last year. I mean, do we have to do this again? Yeah, no, we don't. Let's look. At the end of the day, I, it's just so weird how this keeps happening. I don't understand. All of a sudden, at the end, of they the run day, into a team and they just can't turn shots into goals. I don't know. It must be a coincidence. Yeah, I mean, they lit up the Devils though the series yeah, before. Like yeah. you know how it is. The yeah. anyway, the um, the fact is, is that when you have Natchez, Aho, Tara Vinen on the power play, and Seth Jarvis, not to mention. I'm not ranking you below average. Well, Svechnikov's back. Yeah. And he adds a level of flair, right, in terms of just that rush element. Well, and, and Natchez is so... I know like not, He took a big step last year. He took a big step yeah. last year. But, it, I mean, the problem is is we're, we still are only watching Hurricanes players, like, on a leash. But, like, they're not ever in full flight. Right, it's not full capacity. No, because, yeah. at least in terms of, a, from a watchability standpoint. Of course. Because they don't care about possessing the puck at all and they have a very set restrictive way of playing and it works and you know uh i i accept that and i think there's a reason why they're not in the top 10 despite their level of skill right and their importance relative to the rest of the league is like a genuine contender and maybe even the team to beat um so you know i think ranking them 13th is is justifiable i just there's too much talent there for them to not be watchable yeah yeah i mean the fact that Nate just took the step he did last year, I think Jarvis in his, what, age 22 season is a good bet to do likewise this year. And I think that combination is of... that old? I don't know. It's age 21. Jar- oh, I think he's turning 22 at some point. But yeah, February. Him, Aho, and then Bunting is like a perfect like third member of that line to basically just retrieve the head and, and annoy be people. annoying. Yeah. yeah. And so, an Orlov in a Rod Brindamore system of like, you contest every single zone entry oh, and step perfect. up in the neutral zone and then an offensive zone bomb away from the point. Like, he'll love it. I totally get the fit. <laughs> I just, I don't, and, and it's totally besides the point because we can revisit this 
in our playoff previews in whatever six months or so time. But they're going to win a lot of games this year with the personnel they have and the way they play. And they've been really successful, you know, leveraging doing this into like maximizing assets in a cost efficient way. I just, I like when players have the puck on their stick for an extended period of time. It's fun. Yeah. It allows high skill players to do cool stuff. Hey, and your your aesthetic objections. To if the that's not happening, games. it's not for me. Yeah, I'm, that's fine. I'm glad to pick them to win games and win the President's Trophy. And watch a very minimal amount of it, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think it's. I think if you have genuine aesthetic objections to Rod Brindamore's particular brand of stress hockey, I won't quibble with that. Yeah. At the end of the day, it works, and they're sick. And yeah. That's my number seventeen. So we talked about the favorite out east. The favorite out west, the Arizona Coyotes. No, I'm, I'm joking. But we do have them at 17. You yeah. had them at 17. I had them at 16. I want our listeners to pick their jaws up off the floor right we're, now. We're in. They finished last year with 70 points. Their line is at 76 and a half this year. Sorry. Here's the thing. Mash that over. They took an approach this offseason, which is very unique for them over how they've operated the past few years. They actually spent actually money. trying to be an NHL team. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Right? They add Zucker, add Kerfoot, Dumba. Jersey, they bring back Bukestad and Stetcher. Like, it's an actual serious... You look at the lineup right now. I know. And it's an actual serious NHL team. You're not like, haha, that's a fake player that they inserted to see if we catch them. <laughs> like, it's it's a good group of solid players with... like Some really high-end skill. The chemistry of Keller and Schmaltz. Yeah. Adding Cooley to that mix. What we saw from Michelli. Yeah. Like, there's, like, potential rock stars on that team. Yes, there are. And so, I'm, I'm in on the Coyotes. Me too. I like are I more and more people saying Aw. <laughs> I don't I don't think they're a playoff team or anything, but I think they're gonna be mid eight. Yeah, but seventy six and a half is like a oh, pretty I think, easy I, bar to clear. I think seventy six and a half is a smash. I I I could see them exceeding it by ten points. Like they, Especially I, with a Melka and Ingram in that. Like that's yeah. like that's I expect league average from them. Me too. And so And I even think their defense could be like totally fine. Like I think Dersey, if really given the keys on PP one, could be a brand star this year uh you know i stetcher dumba like they have a real right side they have you know they're a little green on the left but that's okay yeah i mean at the end of the day it's blue liners like it's important but... i mean the thing is is like keller and cooley are going to be breaking all those pucks out really right so you it's hope. like the list of responsibilities is going to be pretty low in terms of getting the puck out um they, they, they're going to pop they're going to have some offense and I, look i think they're going to be I don't. I, it's not going to be an easy night against the Coyotes this year for anybody. Well, and like we're going to talk a lot about Bedard when we get to the Blackhawks. But we were also you and I were talking well, like a week ago. We were looking at Logan Cooley's yeah, rookie of the year odds, and it was like, yeah, yeah. If I'm I, not sure if, how much he's going to play with because Keller and Schmaltz are so good together that they might just split those guys up just to get like yeah. that type of skill on different lines. But, but he'll but, probably play with them on the power play. Yeah. I don't, Honestly, if I bet hockey, 12-1 to 1 Cooley would be very tempting to me, even though I do expect Bedard to win it. Yeah. All right. We're in on the Coyotes. This is a yeah. This is a brave new world we're in. I know. I'm so excited. Uh, number 16, your Vancouver Canucks. You had them at 19. I had them at 13. Let the record show that you had them higher than me. Sorry. Yeah. I had it wrong. I thought I had yeah. them higher than you. Well, you've been known to be pretty pessimistic about this club. <laughs> uh, so they finished with 83 points. Last year, right? Their line is at 85. They played at a 100-point pace under Rick Tockett in his 30-16 coaching. Why do we always by... have to do the, the... The Canucks always played a 100-plus-point pace under of their course. new mid-season And also a pretty soft schedule, right? Coach. And also no pressure, the third of course. softest in yeah. the league, yeah. Here's the thing, though. The reason why I had them in the top half was 
threefold, really. But it all starts with Elias Pettersson. The yep. level, the heights his game went to last year, I think if the team was better than they were, like there would no one was going to touch McDavid in the MVP conversation. But what he did for his team in terms of making everyone around him better was like right up there with every other mere mortal, basically. Yep. He was shot. Uh, he was unbelievable at both ends. And so like the level he took his game to, the stuff Quinn Hughes can do, that power play when yep. it's humming, when they're not just trying to force that one cross-ice pass every single time. Yeah. Like there's a lot to like with his team. I guess you brought this up all there. I guess the only concern is like, want them to be in the top half of this list i mean that's the, that's like at the end of the day we're talking about a team that was 20th in five on five scoring yeah you know and like they should be high on this list given the fact that they have two bona fide superstars and um you know a, a killer power play that's a ton of fun to watch especially when it's humming along and jt miller is sort of pulling the strings a master puppeteer effectively five on four but mm. They were 20th in goal scored, 5-on-5, five five, and now they've brought in Rick Tockett, who played a very, very negative style of game when he was the Arizona Coyotes head coach. Uh, they haven't scored much in the preseason, although it's just the preseason. We'll see. Like, uh, you know, th- there was a lot of positive shooting stuff that they benefited from, especially on that top line. Is it as fun if Kuzmenko's not converting on one-third of his shots? Is it as fun if Pedersen's on ice shooting clip 5-on-5 five five is at 10% instead of 14 right uh that those remain my questions uh, look i think the canucks have a lot of stuff that will be good i sort of dunked, uh, dinged them in this r- ranking just because i don't think when hughes sits that they have enough puck moving yeah there's just not enough connectivity to their game and and fundamentally that's something that i rate really highly i like to see teams that can play as a five-man unit and and move the puck up ice uh, with some speed and dynamism, and I, I I don't see enough of that on the back end. That's sort of why I think I was lower on them than you, despite agreeing with your main points. Well, and I think they telegraph with how they approach this summer, and you know, for the most part, it was all very reasonable stuff and and nothing to quibble with, especially the way they've treated off seasons previously. It was like nothing egregious, eh. which was a nice. No, I mean in terms of like commitments, right? Like in the past, it was a lot of like sure. doing big shopping in free agency, and that's generally not where you want to be when I mean, you're a middling you're, team. You're still going to probably open the season with. You know, you're one of your big free agent defensemen, the one with the most term, playing with your other six million dollar defenseman yeah. on a nine million dollar third pair. All of these moves were set up because they bought out Oliver Ekman Larson, which is bought in the history of the cap yes. era. Okay. To to improve so I you know, I know people look at the term on those deals and say stuff like, Oh, they did reasonable stuff and it's like micro take, fine. Macro take, it still makes no sense. Yeah. Sorry, I just have to push back on this comment. No, no, I know. I think I think it's right. I think I'm maybe comparing it to past moves, but also <laughs> the point, the low bar of the Canucks' the point, previous the, moves. The point that I was trying to make They'll was I think it showed like how they want to play in terms of the types of players they were bringing sure. in. It's like we don't Bluger, yeah, and Suter. Yeah, Let's yeah. make sure nothing happens for a long period of time, and then and then Pedersen and, and then do cool stuff. Yeah, and so that's I think, that's a good take. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, one final note on it, 20-plus games or so of Ray Ferraro, John Shorthouse, and Dan Murphy signing me up for that broadcast. So an outrageous. Uh, a boon here for people yeah. in Vancouver Regional locally. Yes. Um, Can't wait. The CFD, and you had them at 20, I had them at 12. They finished with 100 points last year. Their total is down to 92.5 this year. Vegas is I not like, buying the league-leading 5-on-5 five five shooting percentage, and maybe I bought too much into it because— I like the over. I don't know if I should have had them at 12. I think— like. Oh, I think you should. I think the, I really enjoyed watching them in the postseason, right? Because like you could see that full, like just constant pursuit of the puck, and and yeah. then quick like 
very opportunistic in terms of forecheck, turnover, instant shot. It wasn't like messing around, making a meal of it, and then letting mm-hmm. the other team recover. And so that's a really fun brand of hockey to watch when you have full buy-in the way they had from like every player on the roster. And maybe it becomes less fun when you're not leading the league in five-on-five shooting percentage. And then all of a sudden they can still play the same way, but there's fewer goals and it's not quite as charming. Well, so I still think it's charming. You still think like, it's charming. But maybe like, not like 12th, like, 12th most fun in the league. Maybe it is closer to the 20 you had. Well, yeah. I mean, I thought 20 was fair for them. Yeah. But I, I like the Kraken as a team to watch because I like watching 12 above average skating forwards who all play the exact same way. I like the way that they let both Dunn and Schultz go marauding in the offensive zone. Yep. Uh, I like the way that they're suit quality finishers on the wing whether it's Tolvanen or Bjorkstrand or Burakovsky who should be healthy this season uh, I like the discipline with which those guys pop up high to cover for their marauding demon I like that they use that interplay to create outside shots for their like stronger shooters as opposed to just like when the when the Kraken are taking some of those longer distance shots it's not the defensemen taking them it's their wingers covering yep. for a wrecking ball defenseman who's below the goal line um they play with just you know, a, a, a cult-like, fanatical uh, discipline as a team, as a five-man unit. Um, they're fast. They've got guys like Beneers and McCann who are thrilling to watch. I, I mean, I'm in. I'm in. I've, I've seen them play twice in the preseason live, too, and, like, Tolvanen scored such a cool goal in Abbotsford. Yesterday, I'm in. I'm just completely in. And then if, if we also get to see a bunch of Riker Evans and Shane Wright games from the Kraken, so much the better. There, there's... That team's gonna be fun, man. Well, and they're getting. Bur- I might have been too low on. They're them. getting Burakovsky back, who actually is someone I would expect to oh. shoot an above average rate. Really? And I think it's fair to also bet on Maddie Beneers taking another step offensively this season. Yeah. Right. And so, he, he, pretty overheated percentages. I think he's going to take yeah. a step, and it's going to result in the same level of production. Of course, of course. Like he's going to be yeah. way better than people realize. Yeah. And people will be like, he didn't take the step you expected, but he will have. He just won't have as many points. Yeah. As he's I, no, I agree with that. I just think in terms of like watching him, like. There was, he he's was, got swagger, man. Was, but like sometimes last year was like, and it's because he's a rookie who's like has an endless motor. It was like sometimes almost trying too hard and like kind of taking sure. himself out of position when he's going to learn over time and could be as soon as this year, year two, like take a bit off your fastball and you can still yeah. get there in the same and might even be in a better position. And so might not lead to more points. He'll be much more efficient in terms of the way he uses his energy to get there. And so... Um, I don't like to react to preseason, but the fact that the Kraken, regardless of who were in their lineup in the two preseason games I saw them play, played with the exact same level of structural integrity and intensity that they played with in the, when we were yeah. watching them play in the playoffs last year was something where I was like, I, I can't be low on this team. If you're going to bring that <laughs> in the preseason, regardless of who's in your lineup, you're going to bring it every game over 82 and at the very least they're going to be annoying. Like, they're going to be an annoying opponent, and I think they could be better than that. Well, and there's probably... The the the, the floor is going to be pretty high in terms of just because of that. Yeah. It's like you probably know what you're going to get most nights. Yep. And not from a boring perspective, from like an effort perspective. It's not... You're not going to be like, oh, they just don't have it tonight. The, the, the fact is, too, is that when you're that much on the same page with everybody, like, it feels boring to talk about, but there's actually creativity that comes from the consistency that they're able to rely on up and down their lineup. And I like, I think, I think it's an aesthetically pleasing hockey. This isn't the 2003 Minnesota wild uh, in terms of that, you know, structural reliance. Like there, there's some fun to be had 
with the Kraken. Okay, Tom, let's take our final break here. When we come back, we're into the top 14. We're going to have to rattle through this. <laughs> this is like an annual tradition. I'm excited about it. You're listening to the Hockey Pediocast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Your number one spot for Flames coverage can be found on Flames Talk with me, Pat Steinberg. Exclusive interviews, trusted insiders, and the latest news. Listen live weekday afternoons at 4 or stream the Flames Talk podcast on demand. All right, Tom, rapid fire style. Yeah. Number four, lightning round. Number fourteen, the Nashville Predators. You had them at sixteen. I had them at fourteen. <laughs> Is there a team with better vibes? Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I think <laughs> one of my final shows before I went on summer break was you just got back from being stuck, stuck in, in Nashville, Nashville for an endless period about that and how they were probably the most active team, I guess, other than the Penguins mm-hmm. in terms of shopping and just trying to change, like, make over their roster. And part of that was from a like a just like a cultural and just like happy to be here perspective, right? And you can quibble with the money spent on older like, guys. Yeah. And it's like, all right, does this make sense for them to be doing it? Probably not long term. At the same time, though, they had the money to spend. And listen, when you have sorrows and if Yossi's gonna be healthy and Forsberg can bounce back, their lines at eighty seven and a half, I don't think that's that outrageous considering they were at ninety two last year. Yeah, and a lot of those guys, like the the meat of that team for me now, is you know late bloomer Thomas Novak, Luke Evangelista, who's Calder eligible. Uh, I think he's twenty to one or thirty three to one. No, he's twenty to one to win the Calder. I don't hate a little. Um, I'm serious. You need to get help, man. <laughs> I don't bet on hockey. I bet by proxy. For those, uh, no, I don't for, bet by proxy either. For so. those that are into this sort of thing, <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, Evangelista is going to be a breakout star, in, in my opinion. They, they've got this group of young-ish forwards. They're like the, in that 22 to 26 age range. I think they're ready. Yeah, Glass, to, Thomas, you know, Parson. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think I think a lot of them are ready to take a step forward. I think they're ready to take a step forward as a group. And when you bring in people of the quality of Ryan O'Reilly and Luke Shen, like, it just guarantees that they're going to have a good time. Like, I think the Predators are going to have a good time, and I think you're going to be able to tell that they're having a good time while you're watching it. And I think it's going to lead to them outperforming expectations. I want to tune in to a top and and Andrew Burnett as coach well, is, yes. is reliably fun from an aesthetic. They will play aesthetic and well, pleasing attacking hockey. Now, there's a difference between wanting to play a certain way and having the horses to do so. I, I think, think going will. from that Florida team and the and the New Jersey team he was with last year to this might be a bit of a torture in terms of the personnel. But you're right. I think going from John Hines to Andrew Burnett can only be arrow up. I want to tune into a top line of Philip Forsberg, Ryan O'Reilly, and Denis Gurionov. Should that be their line? No, maybe not. Do well, I want to watch it? Probably not. Do I want to watch it? Yeah, I don't know. The girls are together. I, 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 Sign I, me up. Look, I'm <laughs> I'm into this mostly because I'm holding an awful lot of Gurionov stock still from the bubble. So. Philip Forsberg, Maybe Ryan O'Reilly, off. and Denis Gurionov walk into a bar. Dude, I'm, I'm in. Um, yeah, I think it's a fun group, and I really like the broadcast too. And I just think yeah. like. Saros is also one of the only goalies in the league where he's actually really fun to watch, even though it's remove fun from the game by yep. preventing goals. Like he does it in he's a fun sick. way. So I like this team. I just want to see all these pieces together. It might not make sense, but I like it. I say it does. Number 13, the LA Kings. You had them at 18. I had them at 11. I just had to ding them for losing Jersey. They're going some, some, okay. Down the middle, Kopitar, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Dano, 
Blake Lazat. Some are calling it the Big Four. They should be Blake's. Yeah. I was hoping you'd laugh at my joke. But, <laughs> Sorry, uh, I did. I loved it. Because I was uh, like, Blake Lazat is the big four. I just, I'm here. I, yeah. I like this experiment. <laughs> your problem is, the problem with your joke from my perspective was I'm too high on Blake Lazat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just like, yeah, all right, you're making good points, I'm like, <laughs> uh, I'd, I'm interested in this, like, from a thought exercise perspective, right? Because the past two years, what have they done? Consolidating a bunch of assets and trying to turn depth into top of the lineup difference makers the Vegas model and actually like and I think running into Edmonton the past two years in round one and giving them a really good test but ultimately falling short because they had Connor McDavid and Leandre Seidel and they didn't I clearly like forced their hand and expedited this process right yeah. and so Pierre-Luc Dubois is not in that category of player but like getting Kevin Fiala bringing him in I think trying to go from a team that's a shot volume team into a team that create that can like be more efficient offensively and Pierre-Luc Dubois gives them a wrinkle offensively that they just didn't really have before, I think like it makes sense. I'm not sure I would have done that. I might have, as we talked about, kept my powder dry for like the next big pre-agent that wanted to come to L.A., but it's tough to quibble with, and I think it's going to be a fun team to watch. I think if you win a round or two, though, like they're probably their view is probably like that they'll still have the assets. I mean, you still have Byfield and Clark. It's not like they're an asset-poor right. organization now. Um, Brant Clark's going to be a ton of fun, by the way. Byfield, if he can take a step, could be a ton of fun. I hope we get to see Byfield play with Dubois, like someone who can legitimately help play East-West, something that no one else on the Kings does, really, yep. frankly. And the other guy I'd be curious to see play with Dubois would be Kempe. Like, given how competitive Kempe is, what a high-quality finisher he is, like he's really had to be reliant on attacking against the grain and, and attacking off the rush, which, by the way, is super exciting, right? Yep. Like, that's one of the reasons Kempe... Kempe coming down on his off wing is like one of the reasons why they rank highly for me. But I'd be I'm really curious to see if an in zone creator of Dubois quality unlocks something else from Kempe. And and here's my guess. I say it does. I hope it doesn't. Because the thing that I love about it is <laughs> his flow chart of decision making is <laughs> rip this pocket as hard as Yeah. Yes, do that. No. <laughs> do it anyways <laughs> it's like there's no second gear there's no it's, it's, it's awesome fun. but unfortunately that like predictability of north south shoot the puck all over again is kind of what plagued them right or like yeah. limited their ceiling and so and i think dubois past two years only mcdavid's drawn more penalties no one's taken more penalties than him like yeah. he is the nhl's chaos agent right yeah and so i'm excited to watch this team I'm i want to see if they can take that next step i think i think they are i also think they're going to and uh, I think that I think I think three of the NHL's top seven teams now reside in the Pacific Division. I think the LA Kings are among them. And I, I think if you're one of those people who hasn't quite clued in yet to the fact that like the Central is the new Pacific and the Pacific is yeah. the new Central, that's what's coming. Let's do these next couple teams because I think people generally know what they, what they're going to get from them. It's going to be fun. But the Rangers at twelve, the Lightning at eleven. Um, I don't know. Do you, I want to see more speed from the Rangers. I think Blake Wheeler will be fun there, but I still worry about whether or not they have enough like two-way speedy forward talent. Uh, I also don't want to be frustrated by Frenier's usage again this season. Yeah. Um, if they play Zach Jones on the third pair, though, if Laviolette's willing well, to do year, that, year, that'll be fun. Year one, Peter Laviolette. I think just going from like Gerard Glantz pure vibes to like tactical just like structure and like actually knowing what to do is going to be i think early on is going to pay dividends 
Um, I think they could have gone more contemporary. Too. Nah, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I like what they did in terms of like for cheap because they didn't have a lot to work with. They had a lot of weak links like at the bottom of their depth chart. And like we'll see on this actual thing, but like Eric Gustafson for nothing. Yeah. I love that as like a third pair of guys, totally. second unit power play, right? Like Blake Wheeler, they basically paid him nothing. Nick yeah. Bonino, nothing. Like like they used to just have like so much like dead spots in their lineup, and now I think they've addressed that a little bit. They've been hesitant to play Shisterkin, understandably so, more than like sixty games in a season, right? I think he played fifty three and fifty eight the past two years. I don't love the idea of games to Jonathan Quick this season. I do. Who cares? Who cares? Keep Shisterkin fresh. That he should play fifty. He should, but I'm I'm just I'm just thinking like the Metro will have good teams. I just don't think you want I don't think you want to give away that many points. I, I feel you, but I also just don't think you want to end up in the position that the stars ended up in with Jake yeah. Ottinger, where like your ace series against Aiden Hill becomes their ace in the hole because your guy's playing his eighty eighth game of the year. Yep. Uh, you just don't want that, especially with how good Shesterkin can be. Uh, and how good you need him to be for two and a half months if the Rangers are going to do anything special here. The Lightning, I just couldn't have them higher because last year the regular season was just such a grind. Yeah. Now you made the point of they, they jog through the regular season. Maybe Vasilevsky's injury to start the season but kind of it bumped them up increases their like desperation level to actually yeah. like throw some fastballs early in the year and one well, potentially be in more high scoring games. Yeah. Right, be less uh, able. To, to, to coast, like just know that yeah. Vasilevsky's not letting anything in that night. I don't think they can canter into the playoffs uh, this year necessarily, especially if Vasilevsky misses two months. So, yeah, I bumped them up. We just we just got to know. Watching Kucherov operate on the power play is Especially one with of him the and most... Point, the, like the oh. unspoken yeah. him arrangement point. they have of like stepping well, out, you and, know the Bucks coming. And Stamkos' ability to just like capitalize on those bad angle one-tees from that left circle. I mean, it's just... Kucherov operating on the power play is one of my favorite things to watch in the sport. Number 10, the Chicago Blackhawks. You had them at five on your list? I had them at five. I had them 15. I can do too much on this. So Obviously, the allure of Bedard, especially at the start of the year. I think that's why you te- teed us up. Like You planted the seeds here with the like the curiosity. I, I want to tune in just to see it. This is what you were talking about. I, I'm, I'm going to watch so many Chicago Blackhawks games. At the end of the day, we can. there's only a team or two on this list that can match the description of the Chicago Blackhawks with Connor Bedard on it, which is that every time you watch the Chicago Blackhawks, you have a chance of seeing something you've never seen before. I don't think we're ever, we've ever seen a perimeter scorer uh, like what Bedard is going to be, and I think he's going to be that player right off the bat. I've already seen special stuff from him in preseason. He's yet to play a regular season game, and he's already a monster. Um I think there could be struggles. Like this is one of those teams where it's like you're either gonna tune in and be like that was the best hockey I've watched in years, or you're gonna tune in and it's gonna be them getting absolutely flattened by a team that's got their number. Yeah. But but this team has a chance to deliver something you've never seen before as a spectacle on a regular basis, and I, I just don't think there's a lot of other teams uh, on this list that match that. I mean, certainly the preseason viewing so far hasn't disappointed in that regard and, and and that you mentioned that like his ability to with his puck handling like set plays up ahead like yeah. a few plays ahead of time and leverage it to get the spots on the ice and like just make people look silly. His his edges, man. It's yeah. the way he moves like it's it's the Everyone's it's, always kind of like off balance around him. Have yeah. you noticed that? Like it's it, it, yeah. it, it's it's little things like if you go watch he had that preseason setup goal but it's like there's this little 10-2 shimmy you know, there's this weight drop on the one-timer that's just elite, elite, elite stuff. Like, three guys on the planet can do stuff like that. And then the pass that he sends cross-seam, 
uh, I think, to Taylor Hall. Um, you know, that, that punch turn. Like, good luck finding people who can do that even in the NHL. He's already doing some of the special stuff away from the puck, the subtle stuff that I just, it blows my mind. Not just that he has elite tools, but that he has this uncanny, mature understanding of how to leverage those to create. It's, he's so much fun, man. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly going to be a cheat code on the power play, especially. Yeah, and I think there's going to be some lumps five on five. To yeah, be with that's you. what I'm curious about. I, I I didn't remember this, so I like I had to like look it up. McDavid's rookie year. Yeah, the Oilers had 53 percent of the shots and 55.5 of the high danger chances with him on the ice at five on five. Yeah, he killed and, it. and that's, I think I'm not expecting that. No, no, no. Right, like I I think there's going to be some rough nights where it's like, oh, he had a 20 percent expected goal share tonight. But he still might have three points. Crosby at 18, too, had that same impact. Um, you know, McDavid, Ben, space and time, right? Crosby was a fire hydrant even at the age of 18. Bedard has these massive arms, right? And it's like that's probably not going to translate into immediate success the same way that uh, Crosby's sort of, uh, you know, tree trunk <laughs> like legs did. But uh, But I still think he's going to do some stuff on the perimeter that you've never seen before, and it's going to happen regularly right off the bat in this first NHL season. Florida, Tune in. Florida Panthers at number nine. You had them in 12. I am at eight. I just uh, docked them because I don't know who's going to be in the lineup next Yeah, with Ekblad, with Ekblad and Montour out for, I assume, the first couple weeks, if not months. Uh, I think that's fair. I just think, like, up front, they're designed in such a way, at least they were last year, yeah. to play in the most chaotic games possible. Yeah. And, like, no team plays less 5-on-5 than them because someone's always taking a penalty. Someone's always, like, pushing yeah. it beyond the limits. And so I still think if you look at the forwards, right, the pairings, Barkov or Hagee, Kachuk Bennett, Reinhardt with Lundell and Lucerinen, like, that rocks. That rocks. And I guess my only question for you is, and there's no way to answer this until we see it, the way they played last season was just to do that every single night was so physically and emotionally exhausting, like, because they had to play 110% on every single shift. I don't know if it's fair to like expect them to be able to just do that again yeah no it's a good if that drops off all of a sudden part of that luster is just gone i mean i think they're going to be good i just don't think they're going to be as watchable in the first couple months of the year as they will be uh january on yeah so they're i just like docked them a little bit because i think they're one of the most fun teams uh and yet I think they're going to be a fun team for a more limited runway than most of the other ones. Yeah, I mean, they're the highest event team in the league, so yeah. that'll always get us tuning in. And they have characters. And they have, like, Montour marauding yeah. through the neutral zone and Kachuk being Kachuk. It's great. Number eight, the Pittsburgh Penguins. They finished last year with 91 points. Their line is up to 96.5. They were, along with the Predators, one of the most active teams in the league. Now, here's the thing. Last year, their top six was awesome. The bottom six had 42 combined 5-on-5 goals in nearly 500 games. It's, like, horrible. Good news is they totally changed it, right? They bring in Eller. They bring in Achari. They bring in Nieto. These are guys that Mike Sullivan can get stuff out of. Yeah. And that's a Eller nice— Eller was really good in the playoffs. And that's a, nice de- that's a nice departure yeah. because what Burke and Hextall were doing was bringing in a bunch of guys who were like, it was clear that Mike Sullivan could not use them. Yeah. The issue is, is so much is on the plate offensively of 36-year-old Sidney Crosby and 36-year-old Kenny Malkin, and none of those guys really help address what bringing in Eric Carlson does. And that's an interesting wrinkle to this, and that's why they're this high on this list because I, I just want to see it. Me too. Um, I think they're gonna be great, but I think it's scary because neither of those guys missed a single game last year, and expecting a thirty-six and thirty-seven-year-old with those level of minutes at this point of their career to stay that healthy is precarious. And if one of them is out, I think this just goes off the rails. Um, I think they'll be able to withstand an injury to one of them. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, there, there's some there's some risk there. I expect them, truly I expect them to contend for the Metro, and I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Number seven, the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, when you have a team with the firepower they have up front, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. They, I couldn't they, objectively they, rank them lower than this. The, I'm, I'm a little concerned about their blue line. Yeah. Um, but like the fact that they have continuity behind the bench and that we know that Keith plays this aesthetically pleasing where they fundamentally control the puck so frequently during games, uh, plus the fact that Matthews is truly a generational goal scorer. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is like Matthews, Marner, and Nylander, their top three offensive weapons, the fact that they do it all in such different ways as well is like it gives you a little bit of everything. And the psychodrama of wondering how they'll figure out how to lose this year. Well. No, but they always come back. They're never out of a game. And they're, I and think they're, it's the opposite, though. I and think they never hold leads. It's and, and maybe it's easy for me to say this because, like, just like I, I'm, you know, I have no emotional involvement, yeah. and also just living that far away. Like, I, 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 maybe I'm out of touch with this, but I feel like some of the heaviness from the past has been shed. No, right? Like, I don't think so. We don't have to have it for the tenth straight year. Well, we don't. We don't to, well, no, no. Can they win a round? Like, I don't. Sorry, the Dubas debates are going to come in the form of what happens when the Leafs hit a skid if right. the Pittsburgh Penguins are good. Like, yeah. no, no, they we're never getting oh, over. Man. Okay, maybe, over yeah, 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 maybe foolish on my end. Yeah, no. Um, number six, the Vegas Golden Knights. Just super fun. Shea Theodore I mean, plays on their third pair. I mean, That's just cl- clinical, right? Yeah. It, it, it's clinical. I will say. Jack Eichel, too. I, have we reached the point where, like, it feels like Jack Eichel's underrated. <laughs> he, like, just led the playoffs in scoring, and people are like, I feel like he's not recognized as being, you know, as easily passing the Braden point test. Well, and that was my, more specifically, like the reason why I think they're, they should be this high is he elevates them yeah. from that aesthetic perspective where the level he took his game to in the playoffs at both ends of the ice. It's like, it's cool to have depth and four lines rolling and to be playing such a structured way. But then when you have a guy who just comes down the wing and does what he did, that's, that's what takes you from being like a good team so I guess like kind of that Kings conversation we had, right? Yeah. From being that to all of a sudden winning a Stanley Cup and totally. being sixth on this list. So uh, the, the, all of their lines attack, like there's offense. They're gonna have they're gonna win some six nothing games, like on a, on a relatively regular basis. It's gonna be a ton of fun. Also, aside from trading Riley Smith, like how often does a team bring back this many players from it's awesome. it's, it's actually a Stanley really cool. Cup run? Right. Number five, the Dallas Stars. You had them down at ninth. I had them at fifth. I, I like I like Miro Haskin and stuff. I just. I'm perplexed by Suter being on this team still. Yeah. But there's going to be certainly more Harley and Lundqvist than there was last year, I would hope. Yeah. The top line is the best line they in hockey. They gave Michelle a really long look in preseason. I think we will see him this year. Okay. The top line is the best line in hockey. Yeah. No question. Bar none. Wyatt Johnston, Dodonov, and Ben after the deadline yeah. was phenomenal. Some some injuries mounting up front, including to Wyatt Johnston, but yeah. Yeah. Wyatt Johnston's sick, by the way. Yeah. Oh, phenomenal. When Super we do our fun. guys, he's going to be on that list. 100%. They bring in Duchesne to essentially replace like that rush element that Domi gave them after the deadline, yeah. which helped them. And then I, what I like on the fourth line, it's like a minimal thing, but they just had so many like shifts where nothing happened because that's the way they structured their fourth line. And then Craig Smith and Sam Steele, and they have yeah. Ty Delandria there. Like, it, I think it's a bit of a different look They've to what they speed, had previously. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I think it's a fun team with a lot of individual talent, but also plays in high-scoring games. Anecdotally, Rupe Hintz got to play 82 games at home. I think yeah. he'd be chasing down Wayne Gretzky's goal record. Hints might, um, yeah, Hints might, uh, Hints might be hurt to start this year too. We'll see. I'm, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm just a little bit cool on the stars. I think they're going to be hard pressed to repeat their success last year. And and other than that top line, I don't find their style of play all that aesthetically pleasing. Okay, number four, the Colorado Avalanche. We both had them at four. 
I think people people get it. Yeah, I do think they mo- they play the most stylistically, like incorporate all the elements I love the most. Right, that quick neutral zone regroup, catchy changing, McCarr behind the net, McKinnon manning the point. Like that's like yeah. all of the things where if you're writing down like what I want from my hockey team, they do it. Unfortunately, when they have injuries and then when it's not McKinnon and McCarr doing that and it's different guys, yeah. it doesn't look quite as good. But Devon Taves, too, just like the absolute apex signal caller from the back end, plays plays hockey like a holding midfielder in soccer. And then I'm excited to see Ross Colton. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to see Ross Colton in this environment. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah. Okay, number three, we both had the Buffalo Sabres. I wanted to move them higher on this list so bad I just couldn't justify it because the top two teams are yeah. so firmly entrenched. But, I mean... Once again, pretty self-explanatory. Tage Thompson was put on this planet to dazzle us. Yep. Um, there's so many fun pieces here. Spongebob, Our guy, Rasmus Dahlin. I was already going to have them third, and you're telling me Zach Benson is going to be on the opening night lineup? Even playing in a scoring get, role? Even if we only get nine games, it's like, oh. it's like then we're going to get Yuri Kulik. It's, oh, it's like, a shame right. he's only 5'9". Otherwise, the other 12 teams ahead of them might have had a use for him. But I mean, his preseason yeah. highlights have been outrageous. Watching Zach Benson forecheck at the NHL, like, night one, it's going to be standout. Um, you know, and then you get to things like Peyton Krebs, fourth-line center. <laughs> it's unbelievable. They're, they're, the talent up and down their lineup is ridiculous, and they play such fast, fun hockey. Granado's the perfect guy to be overseeing it. There's nothing not to like. I will watch 50 Sabres games this they're- year. I'm going to watch 82 because <laughs> their games averaged 7.2 combined goals last Let's year. Go. Let's uh, go. It is heaven. Number two, the Edmonton Oilers, the best power play we've ever seen. Yep. I also think the Oilers are about to go up a level, I think. Don't underrate the Edmonton Oilers revenge tour this year. I think that team is going to win the President's Trophy. They're my pick. I think they're going to pick their teeth with the league this year. I think this year is like the year it all comes together and is sustained for months on end. Well, and quietly, their bottom six, like a lot of the questions we've had about them previously were answered yeah, yeah. last year, right? Like their bottom six was playing well. And now if like guys like Dylan Holloway and Ryan McLeod can give them more. Like I, I, I They lost two games in regulation after yeah. acquiring Echo. Yeah. In and the regular I, season. And like, as we saw, like it was disappointing when they lost to the Golden Knights. Yeah, but they gave but them then the... you but then when you watch the next two series, you're like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe those couple games where they just absolutely obliterated them were like the most really impressive, impressive thing we actually saw this postseason. Hundred percent, it was. No, the the, I mean, it's now or never for the Oilers. They know it, and they're going to come in hungry, looking for every edge to motivate themselves. Like I, I think this is going to be an incredible season from Edmonton, and I, I wouldn't want to miss it. I wouldn't want to miss it. Yeah, I don't think you should either. If you want to be part of the conversation, you have to watch. Yeah. Number one, the New Jersey Devils. You had them two on your list. I had them one. They wound up tied with Oilers when they're each. It's warp speed hockey. No team plays as it's fast just a, as them. The, the skater group's flawless. Yeah, Tom. It's just like going like you're watching Hughes, who I think has as scary as it is to fathom, is going to go up another level this Me season. Too. You watch what him, Brad, and Toffoli have done this postseason, and then you've got trying to get the puck from Hishier and Meyer. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you throw like Mercer and Hala <laughs> and Palad, and you're just like, all right, you're just gonna have a fight for your life here for the next forty seconds. Yep, like. What do you do? Well, and now you're integrating Luke Hughes onto the third pair. It sounds like Nemich might take a bit. I don't know that he's going to open the season with them, but we're going to see some Nemich at some point too. Yeah. Um. So you know, have fun. Have fun incorporating two recent top five picks on your blue line Devils. Like my goodness, rich get richer. It's going to be an incredible. Well, team. and all the key characters here are in their early to mid twenties. Hey, don't sleep on Tyler Toffoli too at the net front. PP one. Oh, he's going to rock. He's going to rock. He's going to rock. And the front office has left itself enough room. Importantly to tinker and add if they need to. I've seen a lot of 
before we like crown them, I'm worried about the goaltending. First off, I think whose goaltending are you not worried about? Three I teams. think I like, think potentially on. adding Schman or Schmalabuck or someone who rhymes with that name is still in play. But even if not, like what we saw from them that Rangers series, for example, I know you're worried about the Rangers speed and that might play a part of this. But this skater group's ability to just like turn up the heat and basically say yeah. you have no breathing room for the next 60 minutes is within their range of outcomes. Like we've seen them do it. Yeah. In the highest leverage moment, right? And it's warp speed hockey, not in the service necessarily of just like hollow rush chances. They play a total 200-foot game, which I think is what you're getting at. Yeah. And they so, use their speed to do it. It's like no one can play as fast as them. It's I, incredible. I think if they can channel that, and I think there's reason to believe they can, that's scary to think about. That's a discussion for another day. But I think there's going to be a couple games this year, maybe even more, where they just like full on for 60 minutes, go Harlem Globetrotters on us and just like embarrass, like just pull the pants out on another team and just pass the puck around and they can't do anything. Yep. And people. And that's so they're number one on my list. And I had the Oilers one, one but I, but I had no, the Devils they're number too. one on our, on our, on our uh, aggregate. It's the Devils? No, it's Devils and Oilers. I'm <laughs> tied for one, but yeah. Uh, Tom, we did it. We powered through it. I'll let you quickly plug some stuff on the way out here. Let the people know what you want to promote. Yeah. Check me out at The Athletic. I'm on Sportsnet 650 every day, Monday to Friday with the Canucks Talk Show. And I love doing the PDO cast. We're going to do our guys before uh, before things get run into. So uh, look forward to doing this with you all year, my friend. Awesome, bud. Be well. Thank you to the listeners for listening to us. If you want to help out, smash that five-star button wherever you listen to the show. It's great to be back. And we're going to have plenty more of the PDO cast here now that we're back to regularly scheduled programming.